Good early morning, ladies and gentlemen. Casual Talk Radio is back with another episode here. Gentlemen's World, thank you for listening to us today. Got some interesting topics. Going to go through those. Let's go ahead and get the particulars out of the way, and then we'll jump into our internal updates for those curious, and then follow on with our topic for today. CasualTalkRadio.net is the site. Check us out. We're making changes. There's still some more changes that are forthcoming. Ties to my internal updates, but just so you know, CasualTalkRadio.net, if you have any comments, questions, suggestions, feedback, links at the top to contact us comes directly to me. I read each and every one of them. Happy to hear from the listeners. Make sure that we're on track and just see what we're doing. You also can listen to our audio directly from the site. So if you don't have an app or you like to listen from the web, that's a great place to do so. You can still listen from anchor.fm, which is our host, but casualtalkradio.net now does have a player where you can play directly from the site and it'll follow you as you navigate through the site. Check it out when you get a moment. Let's go ahead and get into our internal news here. As promised, I'm back with Gentleman's World, and I'll secondarily apologize for not recording on Wednesday last week. The ailment has not gone away. I want to stress that it still continues, and I don't really have a solution yet. However, I said I was going to record on Monday, and I'm going to record on Monday, and I'm going to continue recording because the physical ailment, now that I'm aware of it, doesn't necessarily stop me, but it is what it is. I have a strange topic. Forgive me. If you're not in the United States, because I believe other countries are a little bit more evolved, but perhaps hearing the story may enlighten you as to at least one of the many roots of the problems that are inherent to the United States from this commoner's opinion. I am a contractor. It means that I work for myself. I am my own boss. Our system does not really support contractors in terms of the intake process, by which I mean. If you are going out and trying to find work as a regular full-time employee, you fill out an application, they tell you to fill out their automatic uh, system because they don't want to do data entry internally, you waste 30 minutes filling in the same information that's on your resume, otherwise known as a curriculum vitae, CV, elsewhere, you manually key all this data into their system because they can't be bothered to have a human just look at the resume and make a decision. And ostensibly, this is to prevent bias. The truth of the matter is that this practice of making the person do data entry is not for alleviating bias. What it is, is that they really don't want to hire people. And so they're doing everything they can to make it disincentive for people to apply. The thought is, if you really wanted to work for us, you're going to do everything you can. I would argue, and I would put to the forum, if you're purposely creating this rat race wheel type methodology, this idea that you're going to make it as painful and silly as possible in an attempt to essentially self-disqualify people. And we know that's why they do it. I don't think that's the society that we should celebrate, but then it gets worse because let's say that you get past that. Let's say you get to where you do a screening. Most of the companies, and this appears to be mostly United States, if you are international, I'd love to hear from you at casualtalkradio.net to contradict what I'm about to say. Seems like in the United States, predominantly, that's where you see most of these multiple interview sessions. It's usually an initial one with human resources, and all they're really doing is asking the same questions that, frankly, people just make up answers to, let's be honest. You know, how come you're looking for a new position? What, what got you to here? And 
what excites you about this role? And then the star questions everybody knows about that you can practice and you can and you can lie. Tell me about a time when, what happened, and what did you do to get past it? These star questions that if you're new, like you fresh graduate high school, you're going to struggle with those because they're not they're they're based on the assumption that you have experience. So they're faulty questions. If you have the experience, let's say you have never worked whatever they're specifically asking about because maybe you just worked at fast food. You're not going to be readily equipped to answer the star questions. They ask them anyway. Again, it's another layer of trying to disqualify people. That's what it's for. We know that's what it's for. Let's say you get past HR. You get passed on to an initial level of interview. This might be the hiring manager or it might be some supervisor or who not. You, you get in there and they're just asking generic questions of you. Most of the questions are, are harmless. It might be a 15, 20 minutes, some on. Depending on the role, you probably subjected to at least one, sometimes more, additional interview rounds. And these are like forum interviews where there's a bunch of people in the room or maybe it's hiring manager first and then the team next and then the, you know, the director, the C-level. And anybody, again, in the outside of the United States, if you're listening to me in, in shocked horror, this is the truth of what we deal with on the full-time side. Let's say you get past all that. Then it's the actual screening. Now, this usually starts with an offer letter. The offer letter will call out conditions for the offer. And the conditions are usually the same, but I'm seeing a shift, unfortunately. If it's a certain type of jobs, you might need to have a government clearance, secret clearance. That's fine, depending on the nature of the job. But for other ones, they'll do the drug screening. What you may not know is that certain states have made the drug screening essentially worthless, toothless, powerless, because they pay, the company pays for doing the drug screening. They, they pay a third-party company to do the screening and return results. And depending on what tests they ask for, that can actually get very costly. I speak from being a business owner myself and having to send a couple of people to this, so I knew the process. I know the process now from all sides. And so they pay for each of these tests. Well, if you think of the hundreds of people that certain country, companies rather send through the drug screening, and you think about the failure rate and the probability of somebody failing, the probability of somebody failing is only high if you consider weed, which all of them do. Now, I'm straight edge. I'm never going to fail any drug screening. I'm not worried about the failure. What bothers me is ever being subjected to doing it, knowing I will never fail, simply because they're trying to identify this 1% of the population who smokes weed or does crack or something else. Because most people that are going through these tests other than, again, myself, they're going to fail mostly for weed. Well, many of the states out here passed laws that said you cannot discriminate against them if they fail for weed. You have to still hire them. I went through that. I had one person who screened. He failed for weed. I still had to hire him, even though I knew what it meant. I knew that him smoking weed and failing for weed, first of all, in order to fail for weed, it tells me how much you smoke. Second, frankly, it meant that he was not smart enough to have flushed it out of his system prior to this, because he had sufficient lead time. So I already knew what I was getting into that I wouldn't get the highest quality out of this person, which is unfortunate because his work quality was good. His work ethic was a problem because of the weed and I knew it. However, the state law says you must still hire them. So now I'm subjected, if I were going full time, to going to this drug screen knowing I will never fail. And it's a, frankly a waste of my time. You have to get up, you have to go down to the thing. Sometimes you can't do the quick and dirty. They don't have it. Like many of the times it's like 15, 20 minutes in and out, but 
Sometimes, depending on the center, you might be there for hours if they're just backed up or whatever's going on. So it's, it's a, frankly, it's an inconvenience. It was one of the many motivators for me to become a contractor. So I could control this. I didn't, I don't feel it was necessary. With my current endeavor, there was no such. I'm a contractor. I'm telling you as a contractor, here's certain things I'll do. Here's certain things I won't. We didn't need to do it. We got in there and then I just had to prove, look, I'm just as good as I said I was. So let's get on the page and start making some magic together. And everything worked fine. Certain companies now, when even despite you being a contractor, will then push this narrative that you have to go through this drug screening process. Whether it's full-time or contract, it's still the same way, additional waste of time. So now you've got this conditional offer letter, and now you're being subjected to this layer of additional waste, which if you knew going in, you're 100% clean, you never would fail, it's a waste of your time. What ideally I would see is that there's an attestation of being clean. Then if there's a reason given due to the quality of work declining, that we agree that you can be subjected to drug testing based on a reasonable belief that the person might be inebriated or, or under some influence of some drug or something, we can subject you to whichever test we want as a condition, but we're not going to do it up front because smart people will have washed it anyway, flushed as they call it, but they still do it anyway. So they do that because they expect that's going to filter out again, applicants. Now you might say, but if they're paying for it, isn't that a waste of money? Yes, it is. They don't care. It's another layer of doing it. Then comes the background check. I don't believe the background check is a waste of time. However, many states have passed laws that prohibit you from discriminating against what you get on the background check, thus making it a waste of time, frankly, if we're honest. Then after you go through this, it's, you have to go through the I-9 process. The I-9 process is not a waste of time. The problem is that many companies don't implement it according to what the Department of Homeland Security is trying to do which is to say we have this digital process. You don't need to see physical documents. You don't need to have it in the office. You can do it online. It's all online. I would argue the slim minority of businesses do the online version. The majority of them like it. No, you need to have the paper. And so you need to get a notary and you got to fill it out perfectly. And if you don't do it, you got to go back and forth and it's got to be due. You have to have it done three days after you start, which is true. Here's the truth. You technically don't even need to worry about all of this if the person passes E-Verify. Many companies actually do E-Verify, but they also do the tedious process of I-9 when they don't need to. For those that are not familiar with E-Verify, E-Verify is an online tool. Anybody who screens E-Verify the first time is pretty much going to instant pass subsequent times because E-Verify verifies that you're a United States citizen or at least legally allowed to work in the United States. It verifies address, it verifies name, it verifies against your ID, it does all that. Once it knows that the first time, it basically, quote, pre-approves you. So anytime you go back through the e-verify screening, you're going to blast right through it and get an auto-approval under the black letter, and this is on the business side. If you approve through e-verify, you are not required to spend excessive time on the I-9. You do have to complete it, but you don't have to worry about it being perfect. You do have to have the documentation, but you don't have to see it physically. You can use the digital front. Many companies don't do that. So this is another time waste and potentially a money waste for you because if you're working from home or you're working remote, you have to find a notary. You have to go and do all this, da, 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 da. all of this. And then we're still not done because then they'll do reference checks. Now you're listening to me in terms of the reference checks. You're like, yeah, everybody does it. I want you to think about this. A reference check does not verify anything because people frequently lie in reference checks. Reference checks can be fabricated. That's the flaw of them. 
They don't tell you anything. And often the reference will say what they can't even answer specific questions. All they can do is high level questions to be answered. They can't go into further details about it. Many companies will then require significant amounts of references. The problem is that when you're fresh out of high school, you will not have those references available unless they're just, you know, personal references. You're not going to have professional because you know the work experience. If you're later in your career, so now you're in the 50s, 60s of your age, right? You might have had references before. They might have even passed away. And so it gets harder as you get older, I would argue, to get references for which you worked for. For that reason, they're going to be older than you. So if you're already old, they may have already passed away. In my case, one might be disabled, right? Because of the illness that he had. Well, the company won't let go. It's like, no, I got to see references, got to do it. And it's really a formality because in many cases, they don't check the references. Sometimes they do. Sometimes they'll check the reference, but they don't care what the reference said. They just do it as a matter of course. Now, all of this is designed to add layers of nonsense in front of the person starting. And it's a lot worse than it used to be, significantly worse than it used to be. If we focused on what they really need, it's really, I need to find a person who's willing to do the work. I need to find a person who has the capacity to do the work. And I need to have a person who is going to show up and get the work done without me having to babysit them. At the end of the day, that's what they all should want. To vet this out, there's two steps. First, submit a resume in. You should look at the resume and understand how do they format the resume? Whether they got help or not doesn't matter. The resume should be formatted like they actually were competent. I've seen resumes as a hiring manager myself that were an absolute nightmare where I'm pretty sure they didn't even try because it's not hard to make a resume. Microsoft Word does it for you. I think part of the flaw is that many people jump to Google because it's quote free and that's faulty. You should be trusting you know, Microsoft Word. It is the go-to in business form. So when you're going for the job, and I see that your resume is very well done, very well polished. Now we do the interview. The interview is going to answer a lot of questions for me because I'm going to ask you questions directly from your own resume. So you should understand what your own knowledge set is and be able to answer those questions back to me. If you can't, I consider that a red flag. But the, the interview itself is the guiding force. It's the number one star in the sky as to how I can vet that this person has the potential. The flaw in companies is that they will simply ask generic questions that you can practice. The key is to ask questions that are aligned to the level of skill of the person, aligned to their level of experience, that you know they should be able to answer the questions, but you're able to test them and go outside of what they can practice and make sure they have an answer. The common rebuttal is then, well, what if they're introverts? I'm introverted. It may not seem like it, but I guarantee you I'm introverted. Introversion has nothing to do with it. People being able to answer questions has everything to do with the way the question's asked. I will ask a question that is something I know you can answer because you wrote on your resume something that caught my attention. If you can't answer the question, I know that your resume is either bunk or you didn't study your own stuff. And if you don't study your own stuff, why would you study mine? This is a simple science. So I was able to, when I was screening for the two positions I hired, I was able to drill it down from about 10 people down to three essentially four, but one of them self-disqualified. Then three, I left over, and any of the three would have been fine. Ultimately, I should have hired just one person like I initially planned to do, but I had a lofty vision, and I thought I could pull it off, and unfortunately, the companies out there weren't on the same page as me. So it was what it was. I don't regret hiring the two that I hired, and the fact that I was able to do it told me, yes, any company could speed this up. They just choose not to. And I tell that story because 
with my current endeavor. It was reasonably quick and fast. They did a little bit of reference check of here and there, but for the most part, it was quick and slick and easy, fast. I'm working closely to try to get this second client on board. The second client has significant levels of hoops in front of it, and the, the manager that I'm working with on the client side, he's really excited to get me in there because he's not able to fill it. He can't, and I'm pretty confident that all of these barriers are a strong reason why it's been so hard because they've got too many hoops in front of these people. We are contractors. So a lot of these hoops should not even apply. And I'm having the conversation to say, uh, we'll do the best we can here, but a lot of this is unnecessary for a contractor. I still want to close the deal because it will help me get back to pre-pandemic levels. It's kind of key. At the same time, I have my own ethics and morals and principles. And Jakovic, who's the uh, sports player, and he recently came out, and I, he was part of the inspiration he came after me, but he thinks the way I do. He cut an interview recently, and I do recommend you check it out if you get a chance. Uh, D-J-O-K-O-V-I-C, I believe is the last name spelling. But he did an interview that said, you know, I think he's a tennis player. And he said, he was talking to the guy that said, you know, you have a chance to make history. You have a chance to be the greatest of all time because you're just that close. And this, you're not even, he's not able to play. He can't play because all of these different courts and venues are forcing him to show this, this proof of jab status. And he is ethically opposed to it. He specifically has refused to do it, so he's refused to play. And he's holding firm, saying, I'm not going to do this, you know, whatever. If I can't play, I can't play. It is what it is. So the interview is like, but you have a chance to be great here. Is it really that bad? And the interviewer, I'm, I'm sure he was just asking the question. But the guy, Jakovic, he's saying, look, my own, the, the fact of me controlling my own body and my own bodily choices is more important to me than any title, than any trophy. It doesn't matter. My, to, this above all to my own self be true. He says, this matters more to me than anything else. If I lose it, I lose everything else. And I'm selling out. I'm not going to do it. I don't care. And again, he came after me, but I respected what he was saying, which is he has his own principles of what is acceptable for him. I'm no different in what my client or prospective clients ask. There are things I know they need, right? You need my name, obviously. You need my address because you're going to ship me some hardware. You don't really need my social security number if you're not going to be doing any background screening. Other than that, you don't need it. You need my name. You need my address. You need a phone number. It does not have to be a cell phone number. That, that kind of stuff where I will push back and I'll say, I know you don't need these things and I'm not going to give you what you say you want because you're treating me like I'm a full-time employee and I'm not. If I were a full-time employee, we wouldn't be having this conversation. I'm no different than your landscaper. I'm no different than your plumber. I'm no different than your window guy or lady. I'm a contractor. And as a contractor, there are things you wouldn't do with any of them and you thus should not do it with me. So I do push back. And so I've seen now where sometimes that works and sometimes that doesn't. And that's unfortunate because it, it can be a much easier world if we would just focus on what we really need, what we truly need, and not just a, just a, a template for everybody just because for HR to check boxes, which is where I think we're at. I get forms all the time as a contractor that force you to disclose your race. I don't really care if they're going to see me anyway, but it's the principle that they force you to disclose it even though certain people might not want to or maybe none of the criteria they agree with. I have ancestors in past who were mulatto. 
Well, mulatto isn't specifically black, and it's certainly not white by definition. And so if they don't want to put, uh, you know, Caucasian or African-American, well, you shouldn't force them to. If they, That's not what they classify themselves at. But this is the reality of the way our system works, is to create templates because they're trying to, in, in their mind, they're trying to make it fair, quote-unquote, for everybody who applies. The truth is what you're doing is you're taking away flexibility and options and individual personal preferences away from individuals, which is not the right answer, never has been, in my personal opinion. Summary, and there's no call to action, something for you to think about. As we, anybody, everybody, young, middle, old, doesn't matter. As we consider anything that you're asked to do, and you can tell when you're asked to do it that there's a template around it. It's just generic questions, generic requests of some sort, and you have any sort of ethical or moral problem with what's being asked, I know it's tough because of the economy and the damage done by our current government, but I guess I would challenge you to think about whether it makes sense to simply hold to your own and push back when you know it's not right, when you know it's wrong or it simply does not agree with you or doesn't agree with your family. I, I think we as society, when I say we, have gotten to this point where we've just kind of given up because we obviously need to keep a roof over our heads. We need to feed our families. Sure. I think... There are some people out there, some businesses, et cetera, that are willing to look the other way and say, what is the basic of what we need? And we're not going to violate people's personal freedoms and their rights. And I hope that we'll get to a point, whether it happens in my lifetime or not, where we push back on the ones that are willing to violate your personal freedoms and violate your rights at a whim. And that some group of people will step up and finally start saying no. Because the more people that push back, we can hopefully push change to where we're not asked for things they don't need. There are things that are being asked that they don't need. And I'd like to see that we get to a point where we adamantly say, you don't need that. I'm not giving it to you. All the way to the simple point of assuming that everybody will just give a cell phone and thus requiring one and won't accept home phones, even though home phones are still a thing. Simple things like that, all the way up to your private information for credit screens or background screens or anything else. Just be thinking about whether it makes sense to just freely give up yourself and not hold back and say, no, you don't need that. I know you don't need that. Or you haven't justified why you need it. And I'm not going to give it to you because if we don't do that, we're just getting into this world where nobody has any privacy. Nobody has any freedom. And I don't believe, I honestly don't believe that's the world that anybody really wants to live in, in the future. When most of us living to this call are long gone we won't care, but certainly the younger generation, we shouldn't put them in a position where we, where we describe to them that that's acceptable or that we tell them they should just tolerate it and just deal with it when we should be stewards of our own privacy and our own protections. That's all we've got here today on Casual Talk Radio, Gentleman's World. Hopefully it's been informational, educational, and helpful for you. We upload every Monday and Wednesday, so we'll be back for our next episode whether you're a subscriber or not, we appreciate you for dialing in today. We know you've got choices. We will be turning back on our guest cadence. We are doing the screening process that's coming very soon. Keep up to date with what we're doing at casualtalkradio.net. You can also subscribe at the bottom to get alerts whenever there's a new episode posted, or you can add it to your platform of choice. For now, take care, and I will see you on our next upload.